Today, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And when you hear about the Holy Spirit, everybody gets their own idea, right? Everybody starts to think different things. Everybody's had all different experiences. Um, in a minute, we're going to have some folks come up here and wave flags around. And, and uh, Pat, I need you to run up and down the aisle screaming and hollering. We're just going to have the full experience. You might think about that. You might, you might have been to a place like that or, or heard about that. Um, after that, I'm going to walk around and just put my hands on people, and you're all going to pass out and lay around on the floor. You might have seen that before and uh, think, that that's, think that that's how it goes or know things like that. As I was going through this, I thought, man, there's a thing that happens to us that wherever we start to, to hear about the truth and we start to hear about the, real, the reality of God, we immediately start thinking of where have I seen this before? And we think of stuff like that, right? You might think of, um, sometimes it happens when you think of, you hear Baptist, and all of a sudden you go to the worst, most extreme caricatured example of Baptist in your head. And then you think, oh gosh, wow. You think Catholic, and you go to the most extreme, most bizarro caricatured example of a Catholic person, and you think, oh, wow. We don't just do it with religious stuff, right? I mean, if I say a Hoosier fan or a Cubs fan, you immediately go to that guy that's got blue. Or if I say Aces fan, you go to that guy that has purple. Whatever it is, we, we tend to, as soon as we start to get towards truth, we try to think of something like that where we've seen it. And to, to our fault, we go to the extreme caricatured version of that and it almost pushes us away from it. And as I'm doing research and I'm reading about the Holy Spirit, there's all kinds of that going on in the church. And you can find pastors that will talk all about the works of the Holy Spirit. And it's obvious that they are terrified of the teaching about the gift of tongues. Because they don't mention it anywhere. And you can't talk about the Holy Spirit without talking about tongues. And then you'll read other pastors and you'll hear other sermons. And it's all about the gift of tongues. And they don't talk anywhere about just being saved by grace and being sealed by the Holy Spirit. And you can tell those guys are really afraid of not talking about tongues. Whenever you read stuff, whenever you look at stuff, it, it helps to know, okay, this person that I'm reading, this is where they're coming from. Because as soon as you know where they're coming from, you can know what angle they're going to take. Um, John Wesley, and, and he, he started the, the Methodist, Methodist movement. Um, he started with the teaching. He was, they, they traced back this teaching to him and kind of the holiness movements and and uh, the Nazarenes are in this, and, and there's several others, where they talk about the second work of grace. And they start to get these terms going, and it's all trying to explain the Holy Spirit, but without crossing a line into something where they, they're trying to keep themselves separate from somebody else. And the big mess of all of this 
is everywhere you see the Holy Spirit, everywhere you see the Holy Spirit show up in the Scriptures, it shows up for the sake of unity. The Holy Spirit always shows up to bring Christian people together. Which is the big rip-off because that's the one of the biggest things that churches divide over is what in the heck do we do with the Holy Spirit? And so what I'm going to go through today is just an urge to put off every preconceived thing we can, not be afraid of all the crazy extremes that we see on TV, and just go for the Scripture. And go for the Scripture and just just approach it with an attitude of what if it's true? Um, I'm in a I'm in a church communications group on Facebook, and people will come with their questions and try to get other people's help. And there's this lady that came on there, and, and uh, she said the quilting ministry at their church is demanding that they have a booth in the lobby, but they're trying to be this cool, you know, innovative, seeker-sensitive church, and and the quilts just aren't seeker-sensitive. And there were all kinds of people giving advice and all this business. And, and I had to jump in there and I said, what if you assumed for a week that every one of those quilts would bring 50 people to Jesus? What if you just assumed for a week that every quilt that you put out in your lobby for the quilting ministry is going to bring revival and repentance and people ripping their shirts and throwing all their magic books in a pile to burn and it'll just be like Acts and it'll bring this amazing revival about. Because that's exactly what those ladies making those quilts think. And you, you need to have some empathy with them. In the same way, let's have empathy with the Scripture. So when we read something in the Bible... No matter how crazy it sounds, I'm not saying we believe what we see on TV, and I'm not saying we believe everything we read on a website. Let's just hold close to the Scripture. And what it says about the Holy Spirit, let's just imagine, let's, say, let's give it a week, that that is totally true and that totally happened. Okay? So with all of that baggage thrown off and our seatbelts on Jesus said at the last supper he said in John 14 if you love me you'll keep my commandments his commandment just now was to love one another so the, the commandment is to love one another I will ask the father he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive Because it never sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and He'll be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. So there's some stuff in here that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come and be a helper to you. The Holy Spirit is going to be with you forever. It's the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit brings about truth and and exposes truth and shows truth and teaches truth. 
And the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. The, the unbelieving world, the, the world that's in rebellion against God, that doesn't surrender to Jesus, won't have that help, won't have that wisdom, won't have that truth. He says he won't leave them as orphans. Uh, in their day, an orphan had no one to speak up for them. You could commit a crime against an orphan, and the, the orphan couldn't even call the police, couldn't even call for help, nothing. I mean, it wouldn't, wouldn't even be regarded. Uh, uh, an orphan's voice in court, there was nobody to speak for them if they were just a kid. Nobody believed anything they said. They were just an automatic victim of whatever. He says, I'm not going to leave you like that. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you someone to speak for you. I'm going to give you someone to represent you and to stand up for you, to guide you, to help you. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 talks about the Holy Spirit. When he talks about our salvation, he says, In Him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard the gospel of your salvation, the gospel that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead, when you believed that, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession to it, the possession of it, until we get our inheritance. So when you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, when you're sealed, um, I got a buddy and he went out to Toyota this week and he's a salesman. And when he went out there, he you know, had to watch this 20-minute safety video and he had to wear a hard hat and goggles just walking around. And they took his cell phone and they took a piece of tape and they put it over his camera so he couldn't take any pictures of anything. They put it over his front camera and over his back camera, this big red piece of tape. So he comes back and he's telling me about it all. And, oh, I did this and did that. And they put this tape on my camera. And he goes and he peels it off. And when he peeled it off, these white letters appeared in the tape. It didn't leave anything on his phone. But when he peeled it off, it left white letter, big white letters on the tape that said removed. And he was like, whoa. So when he put it back on his phone, it had the big white letters that said removed on it. So he broke the seal. There's a seal on that so that while he's out there, he can't take the tape off, take pictures of their secret formula, whatever, for tires or something. And then put it back on and look like he didn't take the seal off. That was a seal on there that would show, hey, somebody's messed with this. Somebody's tampered with this. I was really excited because it's like totally modern day version of what Paul was talking about. See, whenever there was a letter sent, they would seal it. You know, Pilate sealed the, um, the tomb. And that doesn't mean that they got out there with a whole bunch of liquid nails and really made sure that sucker was shut tight. It's that they would they would sign it. It was it was a it was a seal. Sometimes you might have to get a letter, a letter, um, and the, where the envelope is 
you, you lick the envelope, you close the envelope, and then your notary public or whoever puts their seal right on that to show that it hasn't been opened. Well, they would do the same thing, you know, with wax or whatever. And it was a seal. And if that seal was broken, you had better have the authority to break that seal. I think we talked about this when we were in the book of Revelation. Whenever, whenever a messenger comes with a sealed scroll, let's say he hands it to the, you know, one of the servants of the king, the, let's say the cupbearer, like Nehemiah. If he hands it to the cupbearer and the cupbearer brings it broken to the king, that cupbearer better have the authority to break that seal. Because if he doesn't, the king's going to kill him. Because that means the secret is out. The need to know information that was in there is out. So how does that all relate to us? When you believe, God seals you with the Holy Spirit. That means He puts His signature on you. He puts His seal on you that you can't be opened. You can't be unsealed. The only one that has the authority to unseal you is God. And we know from other scriptures that he doesn't do that. And so when you believe the Holy Spirit comes upon you and is on you and in you as a seal, you were sealed with the when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Wow. I think um, you may have heard of Andrew Murray. Every Andrew Murray book is good. Check them out. They're all old. Uh, a lot of times you can find them for like 99 cents on Amazon because there's paperbacks all over the place. Andrew Murray said, If the church will return to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is her strength and her help, and if the church will return to give up everything and wait upon God to be filled with the Spirit, her days of beauty and gladness will return, and we shall see the glory of God revealed among us. See, Jesus said, I'm going to not leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He shows up at the end of Luke and he says, Stay in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of my Father, until you receive the Holy Spirit. He says, uh, at the beginning of Acts, he says, Stay in Jerusalem until you receive power. That's what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is our strength and our power to be a Christian. See, we don't need any power or help to be worldly, to be natural. I don't, I don't need any help sinning or being selfish. Um, we were having a conversation this morning. You have to work at being kind. It's actually very easy to be a jerk. That just comes naturally to me. The Holy Spirit comes upon us to be our power and our strength. The Holy Spirit gives us a new identity and remakes us. There was a, a big controversy in church history about when, you know, uh, the verse, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. And they started to say, now exactly when are you newly created? 
At what point does that happen? Okay, whatever. You are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. And your nature is actually changed. Because the Holy Spirit is in you. So what comes naturally, even though we have habits, there's a new new thing that starts to happen in us that, that makes us new. And that's what the Holy Spirit gives us power to do. Holy Spirit empowers us, reminds us, gives us that little, you know what, maybe I don't need to keep being mad about X, Y, Z. Maybe I don't need to seek revenge. That's the Holy Spirit whispering, giving you a chance. Don't do it, don't do it. Do this instead. But when we read that the Holy Spirit gives us power, immediately we want, like, power, right? Like Iron Man. Something. I mean, I want like book of Acts, superhero stuff to happen, miracles. And sometimes that happens in the book of Acts, and sometimes it happens in real life. Sometimes God answers prayer on the spot instantly, just like that. Sometimes people get just the thing that they're asking for, exactly the way they detailed it out. And sometimes it isn't. So in the midst of all that power, some people come up with various doctrines, and I want to I address some of that. So um, we talked about people being afraid of tongues. There's four times in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit comes upon people and they speak in tongues. And if you're reading a book and they quote those four and they don't quote any of the rest, you know where those people are coming from. Okay? Because there's eight other times that the Holy Spirit comes upon people and they become saved and they don't speak in tongues now does that mean tongues isn't a thing no because you just lopped off a third of the conversions in the book of acts does that mean tongues is necessary well no because then you just lopped off two-thirds of the conversions in the book of acts okay so any of that any of those things uh, the apostle paul when the holy spirit came on him listen to this ananias so paul is going along the road Jesus appears to him. Kind of strange if you start to really get into it that it wasn't the Holy Spirit, that it was actually Jesus, even though they're, you know, three in one and all that. But he says it's Jesus. Saul goes blind. He goes to this house. And this is in Acts 9. Ananias went his way, entered his house, put his hands on Saul. He says, Brother Saul. The Lord appeared to you on your way and he sent me so that you'll receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes things that looked like scales and he received his sight and he got up and was baptized. When he ate some food, he was strengthened and, uh, and then he goes on from there. Saul was blind. Ananias, who's a believer in the Lord, but totally afraid of Saul, is open. God speaks to him and says, I want you to go talk to Saul. Ananias is like, Lord, you don't know what Saul's done. Don't you love that? Lord, you don't know. It's like, I know. Go. He prays for him. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He receives his sight and he gets up and he's baptized. There's a movie I watched, and you could tell that those people 
thought that the Holy Spirit came upon you at baptism. Because when they acted out this scene, they actually had the characters do it in the wrong order. And Saul received his sight, and they poured water over his head, and then the Holy Spirit came upon him. And I just chuckled, because I was like, I know what they're trying to say. There's this whole, there's a whole idea that the Holy Spirit comes upon you at baptism. And sometimes that happens. But there's other times in the scriptures that it didn't. So again, I'm, and I'm saying all this stuff not to confuse you, not to bring division, but just to say, let's throw off all this other stuff and let's just hold to the, the variety of the scriptures about it, right? There's other times in the book of Acts. In Acts 13, uh, the jailer sees that these guys didn't, they didn't run out of jail when they were able to, and his whole family believes, just like that. There were Gentiles that heard, and they all believed in, in Samaria. They go to Iconium, and there are, there are Jews and Greeks in the synagogue and they speak to them, and a whole bunch of the Jews and the Greeks all believe, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and then they go their way. Then we have Lydia in Acts 16, and she believed. And it says, um, she believed, the, the Lord opened her heart, and then she went with Paul. And there, there's not an eventful thing. But... When Peter is up on the roof in Acts and he sees this vision of all this food that's unclean and then he goes to the home of Cornelius and Cornelius is is a Roman and the whole household believes and the Holy Spirit falls upon them and they prophesy and speak in tongues. When Peter sees that happening, see, even as Peter was talking to them, he didn't believe, he, he didn't fully believe that Jesus was saving Gentiles. Isn't that wild? Like you think, Peter, didn't, he still didn't get it? No, because Jesus told him all this stuff about, you're free from the law, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, you can eat grain in a field on the Sabbath day, don't worry about it. Peter sees a vision from God saying, eat this unclean, eat this bacon, and Peter is moved and he says, Lord, I have never eaten an unclean thing. And the Lord says, Peter, do it, man. That is not a big deal anymore. And immediately there's a knock at the door and it's these guys from Cornelius. And they said, the Lord told us to come get Peter. Peter goes, he tells them about Jesus. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead. It's true. And they believe. And when they believe, everything that happened to Peter on the day of Pentecost happens to all these Gentiles. And that convinces Peter. Peter goes back to the disciples who are mostly Jewish. And he says, guys, do you remember what happened to us on Pentecost? And everybody's like, yeah, we remember. Nobody could forget that. And he says, I just went to the home of Cornelius, a whole bunch of Gentiles, and the same thing happened to them. The same thing that happened to us on Pentecost, all of us good Jewish kids, 
happened to all these Gentiles. And that convinces them. Isn't that wild? On the day of Pentecost, when they're all speaking in all these, it says they're speaking in tongues. All these people hear them and they recognize their own language. And they believed. They believed it. Wow, this is for us too. Actually, if you start to look through the different times that people started speaking in tongues, every time it's to convince people that were doubting or people that were wondering, wow, this is for real. This is for us too. And that's how it plays out. Every time they prophesy, every time it says, uh, and they, they, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they prophesied, there are people that hear that and see it and they're like, wow, this is for us too. So you start to see every time the Holy Spirit shows up, it's to bring unity. It's to bring people together. It's to bring, you know, um, here's Saul. He's a murderer. I'm Ananias. I'm afraid. But when I tell Saul what happens and I see the, the scales fall from his eyes and his vision is restored and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, now I know that Jesus died for him too. That this salvation is for this guy too. Paul goes to Ephesus. And um, no, Paul goes off another way. Apollos goes to Ephesus. And people see him and he's preaching. And Apollos is this mighty preacher about Jesus. And there's something that they can tell about him. And they say, did you get baptized in the Holy Spirit? And he's like, I don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. But he's this fiery preacher. And he's, he's bringing a lot of people to believe in Jesus. But there's something they can tell about him that he doesn't have. And it's the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now wait a minute. Now you've got to rewind. Because I thought Paul said that as soon as you believe, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Right? Well, to Paul, to Ananias and Sapphira, there was something that they could see about a person that showed that they could tell whether the Holy Spirit was coming out of their lives or not. And that I don't have a clear answer for. That's the, that is the one little tricky thing that they said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first believed? And he said, I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Some scholars say they didn't even know that Apollos knew that Jesus resurrected from the dead. That they just knew about the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of John the Baptist, but not the resurrection part. If he was just in town for that part and then left. Which could be the case, I don't know. Either way, they pray, he believes, and he receives the Holy Spirit. And then you don't really hear very much about Apollos after that, which is kind of cool. That was just in there just for him. So, later on, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit in a bunch of different places. He talks about it in Galatians 6, where he talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is where the Holy Spirit comes out of your life. In Romans 8, he says, live by the Spirit. Don't live according to your flesh but live according to your spirit and you won't do acts of evil. You won't do evil deeds. So the church is trying to reconcile this stuff, right? 
And the church is also trying to reconcile why there are good Christians and there are bad Christians. How can you have bad Christians if we're all sealed with the Holy Spirit? And so um, John Wesley and these guys come up with a second act of grace. And when you hear about it, you start to realize, oh yeah, that happened to me, but only because of that vocabulary. Here's how it works for a lot of people. They grow up and religion is an activity. It's a, it's a way of life. It's a thing you do. And you don't remember when you started believing. You don't know. But at some point in your life, a crisis comes. Something happens. And man, from that moment on, I believed. And it was real. And I knew that I wanted to be a Christian. Some people reach that really late. Some people reach it early. And so to figure out some way to reconcile all of that, somebody came up with this idea that God shows grace on you and you are a believer, but you don't really remember when. And then God shows grace on you another time when you're really dedicated. And now I really want to live for the Lord. And then some people start to call that baptism of the Holy Spirit because you weren't before, right? Perfect scenario. So my mom... Grew up in the Catholic Church, loves the Lord, gets ready to go on a mission trip with me. Me and a bunch of college kids, I was like, Mom, you should go on this mission trip. She's like, I've never been on a mission trip. What do we do? I tell her it's like vacation Bible school for a whole bunch of Indian kids out in the middle of the poorest county in America. She's like, okay. Getting ready for the trip, getting ready for the trip. And then she says, we, we, I, just, I remember it so distinctly, we're at Imgi's Deli having lunch. She says, I'm worried about this mission trip. I said, what are you worried about? She said, I'm the only Catholic with a bunch of Protestants on a mission trip. What do you think? Are they going to be okay with that? And I said, well, Mom, there's only going to be one thing they're going to be concerned with, and they're going to want to know if you're saved. If I'm saved, what does that mean? And I said, they're going to want to know if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. I guess I've been saved since I was, I don't know, eighth grade. There's this whole movement in Protestantism that you got to know right when you got saved, right? There's this whole other culture, guys, that it, I just, it's true. Jesus died for my sins. I don't really know what day I first believed that, but, and it was an awesome mission trip, and they all got along great. It was good. It was a good time. And the kingdom of God was advanced. All those Protestants got some learning, and Catholic people did too. It's okay. The Holy Spirit. We don't have to know what time the Holy Spirit came upon us. We don't have to know what time the the Holy Spirit was sealed. Sealed us. Right? Sometimes people look back. What if I would have died at this moment or at that moment? uh, The moment before I proclaimed Christ as my Savior, but before I got baptized or did my baptism work? None of that stuff's in Scripture. Jesus doesn't talk about any of that stuff. 
Jesus says, come and follow me right now. Paul says, today's the day of salvation. Let, you know, your new creation in Christ. Romans 8, live by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. And the more we complicate it and try to put words and terms on it and try to explain this stuff, the more likely we are to throw out a third of Scripture or throw out two-thirds of Scripture and just hold on to the part that we want. And that's not, that's not how Jesus wants it to go. So, what do we do about all this? Know the truth. God talks to Elijah. When God spoke to Elijah, he, uh, he says, go out, on, out of the cave and I'm going to pass by and I'm going to talk to you. And there's an earthquake and there's wind that splits the mountains in half. And it says over and over again, God wasn't in the wind. God wasn't in the earthquake. There's this giant fire. God wasn't in the fire. And then there's this whisper. And Elijah knows that's God talking. That's what I want to hear. And he goes out to hear from the Lord. The Holy Spirit desires to talk to us. Jesus told one of, the, one of my favorite parables. He talks about, if you ask for an egg, will your father give you a rock? If you ask for a fish, will your father give you a snake? Now, realistically, totally, yes. Just play jokes, because it would be hilarious, right? Jesus is not talking about that. He's talking about how much the father loves us. And then he says, how much more? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So Jesus says it right there. That we don't have to strain. We don't have to, oh Lord, I just need you in my life. No. He wants to do it so bad. He wants to give so bad. Uh, there's a guy I was talking about where I was fundraising for the Action Summer. And I said, you know, do you want to give any money? And he just gets his wallet out and he's like, I'm going to give you all the money in my wallet. And it was a couple hundred bucks. And he said, it's a shame you're not a nonprofit or I could give you more. And I said, we are a nonprofit. And he's like, what's your 501c3 number? And he gave me a couple thousand dollars right there on the spot. That guy wanted to give to the Action Summer. He wanted to give me money. I didn't have to say, please, come on. Will you get... God is just like, man, if you would just ask me, I will totally give you the Holy Spirit. I will give you so much of my spirit that is just overwhelming and it will change your whole life. You're sealed, you're stamped, and I just, want to, I just want to give you, give you, give you myself. Because ultimately, whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the Trinity, and we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about God the Father. All of Him. He wants to give us all of Him in us all the time, in every way. So, as you go this week, as you read the Scripture, as you pray, Just know all the fullness of God wants to give you all the fullness of God. And 
It is, it is yours for the asking. You already have it. As soon as you believe you have it, it's not like it's achieving some new thing. But there's plenty of places where people ask for Jesus to be close to them, ask for God to be close to them. And the way he does it is by his spirit. And, and, then, and that's power. And that power is power to bring unity to build up the church, to unity to build up God's people and to bring more people into the family. All right, let's pray. Lord, do it. Fill us all the way overflowing with your Holy Spirit that we would not have any of ourselves left to walk by the flesh, that we would walk by your power, Lord, that we would build up your church. If you want us to prophesy and speak in tongues and throw fire and the whole bit, we are here and and we submit to you, Lord. We long to see your kingdom come. We long to see all of the goodness of you shown off in the world. And we praise you for your mercy and your grace that you would fill such leaky, goofy, dirty vessels like us. Thanks for cleaning us and making us whole and using us, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. Amen.